Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend... MetLife Stadium for you guys. Wow. Here's your host, Joe Caparosa. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, I'm going to run this on a Wednesday with the short week with the Jets playing Thursday. So I'm going to get in a quick final rant. I'm New York Jets head coach Adam Gase. We'll get back to our normal mailbag format next week. As a reminder, this podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Please also check out our subscription podcast, Badlands, hosted by myself and Connor Rogers, which also comes out weekly, uh, including this week. Episode dropped yesterday. That is available at turnonthejets.podbean.com for a one-time $9.99 payment that covers you for an entire year. Got some exciting new things on the way there as well in terms of the platform we're going to be publishing. So stay tuned for more info on that show as well. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to do it. This is going to be a pretty quick, quick one. And there's some rumors and rumblings that pending the Jets losing to Denver on Thursday night football, the Jets will decide to fire Adam Gase in season. Now, we previously talked about why I thought that was unlikely, because I think once you do that, Christopher Johnson has to publicly admit a mistake after being very aggressive with PR for Gase, unforced error after week one. And once you fire Gase, People start talking more about the problems with ownership and problems with the front office, potentially. It's still very early for the front office, so we don't want to throw them under the bus yet. We want to be a little patient there Uh, instead of just focusing at all on the coaching staff, which is an abomination at this point. Now, where and why these renewed rumors came of them potentially firing him if they lose uh, on Thursday night kind of kicked up over the weekend with Chris Mortensen saying that ownership is – starting to really feel the heat uh, from national media and from fans. And if the Jets lost both games this week, uh, they would potentially make that move. Colin Cowherd had kind of commented on it. There has been some pushback that we don't know whether this is actually going to happen or not. And I wouldn't say anything is 100%. Now, the Jets did the first part of what they needed to do to get Gase fired by getting absolutely annihilated by the Indianapolis Colts, their biggest margin of defeat so far this year followed a fairly comparable script to the first two games. They did score a first-half touchdown, 
on a great play from Sam Darnold, but Darnold did also throw three interceptions and two pick sixes. And, uh, you know, you had a 36-7 to final, a game that, again, was not competitive, a game that had an offensive game plan that was lacking, and the Jets yet again running out the clock with 15, 16 minutes left instead of trying to come back and win the football game. Now, Denver is 0-3. They are 32nd in overall DVOA. The Jets are 31st. So technically, they are the only team in the NFL worse than the Jets. I would argue they've played better than the Jets through three weeks. They nearly knocked off Tennessee week one. They hung around with Pittsburgh despite having to play with Jeff Driscoll. They are also more injured than the Jets. And on a short week, and flying across the country to play on the East Coast. So, despite all that, Denver is still, I believe, a two-point favorite. The last time I checked, which just shows how little Vegas rightly thinks of the Jets, because that's how bad they've been. I believe it is going to be Brett Rippin at quarterback uh, for the Broncos, a guy I honestly have never heard of, uh, and because Drew Locke was going to be Denver's starting quarterback, and then Jeff Driscoll is the backup. They're both hurt or ineffective, so they're going with Rippon, who played a little bit last week in a blowout loss that they had to Tampa Bay. Denver's also down Cortland Sutton, Von Miller, uh, a couple offensive linemen, uh, A.J. Boy. Like, it's ugly. They are hurt more than the Jets are hurt. It is a very bad team with a very banged-up roster. The Jets, I guess on paper, should win this game as the home team and a team that is banged up themselves but has Sam Darnold playing, uh, is expected to get Jameson Crowder back. It's likely Mekhi Becton plays. We'll see how the injury report ultimately shakes out. Now, it is – got to take a moment to recognize that it is patently insane that the Jets are basing this decision on one Thursday night game. If they've decided they cannot win with Adam Gase and he is causing the rest of the roster to regress, which means – They've recognized something that all of us have recognized a while ago. It should not matter if the Jets win 17-10 against a bunch of Denver's backups. That is not a justification to keep Adam Gase. Even if they blow out Denver, that's not a justification to keep Adam Gase because of what has happened the first, uh, what is it now, 19 games of his career here? 11 double-digit losses in those 19 games? 13 of the 19 games, not reaching 20 points. Sam Darnold currently looking like the worst starting quarterback in the NFL into his third season when Adam Gase was brought here specifically to develop Sam Darnold. Whatever happens against Denver should not influence that decision. The Jets win. They lose. They should fire Gase. They should have the new coaching staff, whatever that ends up being, 10 days to prepare for their next game against Arizona. They should use these final 12 games to evaluate Sam Darnold and other young players and McCagnan era holdovers the best that they can. So the next coaching staff can make a more informed decision about which direction to go along with the front office. Make Jim Bob Cooter in charge of the offense. He's not the most exciting option, but he's better than Dowell Logan, Sean Jefferson, or Adam Gase. Uh, For an interim head coach, Greg Williams, Brant Boyer, Denard Wilson, all fine as options. It doesn't matter. They're going to be an interim. None of them are going to be seriously considered towards being the head coach next year unless something miraculous happens, which it won't uh, when you look at the rest of the Jets' schedule. Uh, But this move should be made no matter what. This hire was a terrible decision 
from day one, as many of us said, and it has played out even worse than many of us thought it would. Do not be fooled by the Jets' 7-9 and record last year. It is inflated because they played Buffalo's backups, because they played Duck Hodges, and because the defense overachieved and let them win a bunch of ugly, low-scoring games. Not even a bunch, a few. This was a 4-12 and team last year, if we're, being honest, if we're being honest. And you're seeing that in the first three games this year. They are running one of the least intuitive, most simplistic, brain-dead offenses in the NFL, if not the most. They run more than any team on second and long, which makes no sense. They barely use pre-snap motion or shifts. They play with no tempo. They do not adjust their game plan no matter what the personnel is. They just stick with 11 personnel. They force their tight end to be a blocker. They don't use their running backs enough in the passing game. And they generally contain Sam Darnold, the guy who's better outside of the pocket and operating with a little improvisation in the pocket. And you're seeing the results of all that where the Jets have scored no points really these first three games, right? They had the first half touchdown against Indy on a broken play. They scored a garbage time touchdown on like the last play of the game against the Niners. They scored a garbage time touchdown when the game was over against Buffalo. And they got a fluky touchdown on a screen pass to Jamison Crowder against Buffalo, but have not been remotely competitive in any of these games. Besides Gase failing with the offense, and this is a guy who's an offensive head coach and has been very clear in saying, I am, the only, I am only the head coach of the offense, which is a horrible way to manage a team, always has a bottom five offense. He had a bottom one offense last year. They had the worst offense in the NFL. They currently have the worst offense in the NFL again. And even in Miami, this was a, you know, ranked 27th, ranked 28th, ranked 25th. It's an offensive coach who cannot coach an offense, who cannot develop offensive players, and who is regularly seeing offensive players go elsewhere and find more success. Mike Gusecki, Ryan Tannehill, Devontae Parker, Kenyon Drake. The list goes on, and the list will continue to go on with Robbie Anderson and with Sam Darnold uh, if he ends up going somewhere else or just playing away from Gase and, and thriving. I don't, I don't doubt that will happen, and I don't doubt it will happen with Le'Veon Bell either when he eventually goes somewhere else. Uh, this is a guy who does not know how to build a coaching staff because he had the say on his offensive staff, and he brought in the same failed group from Miami. The Jets have Gase and Dowell Loggins as a support staff for Sam Darnold. They made no additions or no changes after how bad everything was last year, and it is continuing to fail. And it, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that it is failing overall. He is not good managing the media. He is not good as a face of an organization. He spends the entire game with his head in a spreadsheet, circling and Xing off God knows what, because the Jets are ridiculously bad on offense, so who knows what he's doing. This team looks like they have no interest in playing for him, and I, I don't blame them from everything we've seen here and everything we've heard in Miami. Before they, they made this hire, we talked about how rare it is where there are times head coaches find success in their second you know, run in that role. It usually or almost always comes with a prolonged period of time in between jobs. So they have time to step back, assess what didn't work, learn work their way back up, and get the job. That's how it worked with Pete Carroll. That's how it worked with Bill Belichick. It's worked in a few other circumstances. When you look at times that didn't work, you don't have to look far beyond the Jets' recent history. Rex Ryan went directly from the Jets to the Bills and was fired before the end of his second season, which is likely going to happen with Adam Gase. 
I would be curious to see what would have happened if Rex took a few years off and tried to come back as a head coach. Eric Mangini, great start with the Jets, maybe unfairly got fired after a 9-7 and season, didn't take a year off, went right to Cleveland, was fired after two years. It just does not work. You've got to put a bigger gap here. And the Jets, when they did this coaching search, they couldn't land Matt Rule. They couldn't land Cliff Kingsbury. It was being led by three very incompetent individuals when it comes to nailing a head coaching search. Brian Heimerdinger, not working in the league right now. Mike McCagnan, not working in the league right now. Chris Johnson, an interim owner. And that's how you default back to such a bad decision to hire Adam Gase. And the Jets, unfortunately, have just totally flubbed what was a nice potential window or opportunity to actually rebuild in a reasonable time frame and build something sustainable around a talented young quarterback in Sam Darnold. Because, look, they openly tanked in 2017. They ended up with a lower pick than they anticipated, and they were aggressive. And I don't – their fault, which isn't worth rehashing now, is that they should have took Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes number six in 2017, not Jamal Adams. Uh, they did not do that because they had Christian Hackenberg and they thought he could still be their long-term quarterback. Don't let anyone else ever tell you otherwise. That's the exact reason they didn't take one of those guys. Sad and hard to overcome, but that's the reality. Let's skip that because when you go to 2018, I don't have a problem with them being aggressive to make sure they get the quarterback they wanted. I don't think they thought it was going to be Sam Darnold at the time. I think they thought it was going to be Baker Mayfield. Regardless, they get Darnold. Fine. They traded up for him the number three pick in the draft in February, they should have handled free agency accordingly that they were going to have a young starting quarterback and put the necessary weapons around him. Allen Robinson was sitting out there. The Jets had cap space. They should have overpaid, gave Sam Darnold a legit number one receiver. Then the rest of Darnold's draft class is interior defensive linemen and slot cornerbacks. Nathan Shepard, Foley, Fayukasi, they play 20 snaps a game right now. Jets are overloaded with interior defensive linemen. They didn't add support around Darnold in his own draft class. And then even when they made the front office transition, everything has been much more built around finding guys who kind of fit Adam Gase's system or keeping long-term flexibility for when they move on from this coaching staff. Two things don't even fit or work together. And that's how you end up the past couple of years with this collection of decisions to spend money on guys like Josh Bellamy and Ryan Griffin and Demarius Thomas and Frank Gore and Kalen Ballage and not resign Robbie Anderson and think Brashad Perryman could fill the gap for some reason. Um, you don't sign certain offensive linemen because they don't fit Gase's system, so you still have some issues there. Defensively, going back to McCagden, they sat out a totally stacked edge rush market. So Darius Smith, who is a defensive player of the year candidate these past couple of years, Preston Smith even, and said they tried to do the Anthony Barr position conversion, which failed. And they overpaid for C.J. Mosley, who's played one game in two years for them, at a low-impact position. You can't recover from these mistakes. And now, unfortunately, there's a real chance that Sam Darnold's going to be the casualty of such a bad coaching hire and such bad supporting decisions around it. I have no idea what's going to play out the rest of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some pockets of time when Darnold does play a little better with or without Gase. But the Jets 
they're going to win four or less games this year with Gase or without Gase. I think getting rid of him is just how you start rebuilding some type of reasonable competitive culture here and changing the mindset of this forfeit football. And you get Donald as far away from him as you can. Uh, Because look, the Jets are going to have some tough games this year, man. Uh, Once they get through this next little, next little bump of the schedule, Kansas city, new England, twice still Buffalo again, uh, Seattle, the Rams. This is not like last year where there's going to be some, you know, phantom second half run. This is a team that will be in the conversation to being pick, picking first overall. And if they are part of the appeal they will use to get a new coach is it's your call on what we do with this pick. And that includes the quarterback position. And if they're picking number one, Trevor Lawrence, as our, as our buddy Connor Rogers says, is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And they're going to take him. Now, if the question where it gets more interesting is if they're picking third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, what do they do then? You know, can Darnold do enough um, to make them not take a quarterback? And I do think that pathway is still on the table. But right now they're kind of in this weird purgatory, right? We know this isn't the coach. So it's just a matter of when. Uh, and I think the when should be Friday morning, no matter what happens. Uh, with this game against Denver, because honestly, who cares if they beat Denver's third stringers on a short week? Uh, It's not changing the trajectory of their season. If they lose, it's that much more embarrassing. And if that's what needs to happen to get this firing over the finish line, it's honestly for the best, which is why a lot of Jet fans are going to be rooting for Denver on Thursday night. And I don't blame them. I will be too, Uh, because this has to end. I mean, this is co-tight error bad right now, these past three games. And most of what these 19 games have been under Adam Case outside of one or two weeks of false hope uh, being given. It's been an unmitigated disaster. The Jets are at the point now, and you guys see this, it's not even worth breaking them down week to week. There's no matchups to talk about. There's nothing to dive into. They're getting blown out by halftime every single week. What is there to talk about until we can move past this era? So, you know, on this feed, uh, we'll be back with a normal episode next week, you know, kind of regardless of what happens. If there is a gaze firing, we'll drop an emergency pod likely on the Badlands feed and have plenty of reactions to it on turnonthejets.com and on uh, on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. So, look, I, I do think that it's a 50-50 situation uh, on whether Gase will get fired. Uh, I think, unfortunately, either way, the rest of this season is, is going to be pretty ugly at times. Um, just looking at what we've seen for the first three weeks. So we'll see how it plays out. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will be back next week. The three offensive tackles are gone. So is the corner. If available, would you take Simmons based on his versatility, wide receiver or edge from Iowa or trade down? Uh, In this situation, I'm looking wide receiver. I'm trading down. I think Simmons is a great player, versatile player. I don't care. I don't want the Jets going defense in the first round. Keep trading down. Compile your early picks on offensive line and at receiver and things that are going to help Sam Darnold. They have what they need on defense. They had the 10th overall defense or 9th overall defense in DVOA starting James Burgess and Neville Hewitt, an inside linebacker. And yeah, they'll be better with C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson back, but are they going to be $100 million better? Probably not. You know, maybe they move from nine in DVOA to five. Like, they could get by with the low-cost players they have at inside linebacker. They could get by with what they have at safety. They could use another corner or edge, but again, they could compete. You can make the playoffs with the ninth or 10th DVO defense 
DVOA defense. You cannot make it with the 32nd offense. You really can't even make it with the 18th or 19th offense. You got to get up in the top 15 if you want to be a seriously competitive team. So you got to take your swings on offense, and I hope that's how it ultimately breaks out for the Jets. Uh, next question from Danny Bags: Do you think one offseason and one draft could fix a team's offensive line? And if the answer is yes, do you trust the Jets to do so? We, we talked through the Buffalo model already earlier on this podcast. I do think it is doable. I think it's going to be an uphill battle because every Jet fan is logically looking at the available free agents and saying, "We're just let's go out and let's sign Brandon Scherf, let's sign Anthony Costanzo, let's sign Joe Thune. The, question, the reality is, is that every team is going to be after those guys. Everyone wants offensive linemen, including the teams who currently have them. So you look at those three guys in a vacuum, one of them probably doesn't even hit free agency. That leaves two more out there where you're going to be competing with a ton of other teams for them. And there's rumors that Costanzo could retire. Uh, you know, Scherf, for as great as a player he is, he's missed 13 games over the past two years. So there's some risk there involved as well. Um, it's hard to fix things in free agency. That doesn't mean the Jets shouldn't be aggressive and shouldn't try. But the key is really going to be nailing these draft picks. And if the Jets could draft an offensive lineman in the first round who could come in and start and be competent, that's going to go a long way in the short and long term to fixing things. And then if, on top of that, where you really make a difference is can you find a guy on day two who can start and be a long-term contributor here? If you do that and you find two starters and one draft on the offensive line, the Jets are going to be in much better shape going forward because you get two, or two starters there. Maybe you get one in free agency. You bring back Lewis and Beecham, and you have a pretty competent unit. It's not going to be a top-tier unit, but it should be good enough for you to compete with. So... The draft is probably more important than free agency because I would not bet on the Jets landing, you know, Scherf or Thune. I think they should try, but they're not the favorites to go out and get them. There's teams with more money. There's teams who have, you know, equal or a bigger need. And the Patriots and Redskins are going to be trying to keep them, respectively. Next question from Spotty Blackman. Not the sexiest question, but what do you think of the likelihood of us losing Boyer if we have another season where the special teams is arguably the best unit we field weekly? Could be a trend to watch. Special team coaches getting shots to lead. I've always been a big fan of special teams coaches as prospective head coaches, and I don't know enough about you know Joe Judge to have a strong opinion either way, but I think the thought is with special teams coaches, they're guys who deal with offensive and defensive players, and they... They could delegate on both sides of the football and deal with those coaches and deal with those players rather than getting an offensive or defensive coordinator who's really siloed just to one side of the football. You know, Rex Ryan and Todd Bowles, they cared about the defense. They didn't really care about the offense. Adam Gase cares about the offense, doesn't care at all about the defense. He's openly admitted that. Ideally, you want someone who could sort of be a CEO type and delegate and have oversight over both sides and every side of the team because that's what the head coach's job is. That's why I think a guy like Matt Rule will probably be pretty successful at the next level. He showed the ability to build a program and, and operate in that CEO role. Now, we'll see if it translates to the NFL, uh, but that's kind of what you want. So with Boyer, just been great on special teams the past two years. Uh, I'm surprised in some ways that he hasn't gotten a little more interest, but the Jets have been bad, and that, and that kind of plays into it. Uh, you know, Joe Judge is easier to hire because he comes from New England and he's on Bill Belichick's staff and New England's competitive every year for the Jets. It's a hard sell for a fan base to say, we're going to hire the special teams coordinator off the 7-9 and 4-12 and team, even if their special teams have been great. So if the Jets are great on special teams again next year and Boyer uh, and the Jets are better, they're a 9-7, you know, 10-6 and, seven, ten and six win team, yeah, I could see him maybe getting some chatter. Uh, it's not out of the question with how good he's been. 
Uh, it's something to definitely keep an eye on uh, because it was really impressive that he was able to deal with the turnover at kicker and punter and returner uh, and still make it work for the Jets on special teams. I want to tell you guys that today's show is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. Through in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, plus national writers you already know like Jay Glazer, Mike Sando, front of the pod Mike Lombardi, The Athletic is setting a new standard for sports news. No ads, no pop-ups or clickbait, just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights you won't find anywhere else. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer Q&As, and more. Just download the Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and the Athletic will begin surfacing all the latest on the players and storylines that matter to you. Ready to get started? For 40% off a yearly subscription to theathletic.com, go to theathletic.com slash overtime. That's athletic.com slash overtime. Uh, Must include uh, that URL when you go for the sign-up. Get your 40% off at athletic.com slash overtime. All right, let's dive into a few more questions here uh, before we wrap. Next question from Joshua at Tanny My and E. How will we be able to assess Joe Douglas's success in the draft if those players are wearing gay shackles? Gay shackles is a funny, funny term. I like it. I may steal it and start using it on Twitter. Uh, it's hard to say. Look, Gase isn't going to be the Jets coach forever, I don't think. It'll probably be for one or two more years. And we have to see how certain players are used. I mean, the Jets, you know, with McCagnon's first draft class, it's kind of hard to assess. Uh, I mean, they played their rookies. Now, a lot of them are on defense and had to play because of injuries. And Greg Williams runs the defense, which is why we saw a lot of Quentin Williams, Blake Clashman, Blake Cashman, and Blasson Austin, you know, for the offensive guys that they took. There didn't seem to be a hesitancy to play at Doga. He just struggled and, you know, couldn't stay healthy. And with Wesco, you know, just was kind of like a non-factor, but it wasn't like he was like drilled to the bench or he wasn't necessarily begging for more playing time either. So I'm going to have to assume that Gase is going to be involved in having some input on these picks, particularly on the offensive side of the football, uh, and that the Jets are going to be in a situation where they're going to need to play their rookies. And there's probably going to be a situation where, with some of these guys, yeah, we'll be wondering, will they look better in a different offensive system when Gase moves on? And what will be really interesting to add to you know, what we watch next year is if Le'Veon Bell and Robbie Anderson ultimately are gone, which I think is fair to expect, how do they play in their new situations? So does Robbie Anderson go out and catch nine touchdowns and 1,100 yards in a different offense? Does Le'Veon Bell show that he could still be in a 1,000-yard back with over four yards per carry and you know get involved in the pass game more? That, that's going to be interesting to see if both of those guys move on, and along with monitoring the uh, rookie class. Next question from NY4 at DCER underscore USA 10. Why would any player want to come play for Gase? My guess is we'll have to wildly overpay for guys. I mean, the Jets having to overpay for guys, you know, predates Gase. They had to overpay for C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell last year. They're paying a tax on being bad for as long as they've been. Location doesn't really matter as much anymore. You could get endorsements anywhere with how digital media is set up now. So the draw being like, oh, you got to come play in a big market doesn't really hold, especially because the Jets don't have a great you know, home field experience. They play in East Rutherford. They share a stadium. They've been bad. So the home environment really isn't great. You know, But 
when you're bad and you miss the playoffs for nine years in a row, you do have to overpay to get a guy like C.J. Mosley. I think they offered him like $10 million more than the Ravens did. I think with Bell, they offered like 6 or $7 million more than the next closest team, which I think was the 49ers. With Gase, I think, yeah, there's going to probably be some of that. He does not have a good reputation throughout the league. You can see it from his former players and some other people, you know, kind of chattering around. That did not change this year. They're... You know, you watch what some of the guys in the Jets team tweet or what tweets that they like. You know what happened with Kalechi Osemele. We know what happened with Quincy Inua and Luke Falk. I think it'll be a, you know, a hurdle, but money talks. And if the Jets go above and beyond with certain players, I think they'll be able to land them. I think Gase also has certain guys that he's worked well with in the past and he's shown an affinity for them. So it's not an exaggeration to say Jet fans should keep an eye on guys like Alshon, Je- Alshon Jeffrey or... Emmanuel Sanders or other guys who have played with Gase before, I could see them trying to go after some of those pieces so he could get, quote-unquote, his guys. Now, is that good for the team long-term? Probably not, but that's just the reality of what ultimately is going to happen. All right, let's scroll here. Um, from the Ambitious Podcast, thoughts on Joe Brady or Eric Bieniemy as head coaching candidates? Well, I think with Brady, you're going to want to see you know a year or two in the NFL to see how he adapts, but would be an interesting forward-thinking hire if the Panthers are good this year and take a big step forward on offense with the enemy. Pretty silly that he has not gotten an opportunity yet. I think him and uh, Salil from the Niners are guys that teams would have been wise to kind of wait a couple more weeks and, you know, get them real interviews and really consider hiring them. You know, I think with the enemy, it's hard to think that he hasn't absorbed a lot from Andy Reid and how Andy Reid manages a team. I do think he will get an opportunity at some point and maybe next offseason, and he could absolutely end up being a guy that the Jets look at. And maybe it's for the Jets' benefit, ultimately, that Biennemi and Salil did not get head coaching jobs this year because they'll be out and available next offseason if things don't go well with Gase. And, you know, Brady might end up being another guy that they consider, although you have to wonder what rule is going to tell him about his experience of interviewing with the Jets. But definitely something to watch, uh, you know, going forward. Next question, why would Johnson or Douglas let a below-average coach run a talented player like Bell out of here? There's no way Douglas can get good value back for Bell. So decent amount of Twitter chatter about the Bell situation as there were some rumors from also a friend of the pod, Tony Pauline, about both sides sort of being motivated to find a way to get him out of town. And there has been rumors and rumblings since before that Bell was even signed that Gase did not want him. And we heard those on the record, heard those off the record, which is why I was kind of surprised that they ultimately did sign him. And it was a signing I was in favor of. Uh, I wasn't shy about saying that, but I was surprised they ultimately did it. And I think it was something that, you know, was really driven by ownership and McCagnin more so than Gase, who I don't think was ever really a fan of the transaction. And we kind of saw that play out throughout the year and how he talks about him and how he uses him uh, on offense. And I think the problem with Moving on from Bell is you can make a case that look like a good case that spending that much money on a running back going forward is not worth it. The problem is, is that the Jets are paying Bell next year, no matter what. So if you're going to ship him off for a mid round pick, which is basically what you're going to get back for him, because the team is going to have to take on a chunk of his salary, not all of it, maybe half or something. Uh, you're adding another hole when you already have a ton of holes at receiver, offensive line, edge, cornerback. You know, Ty Montgomery's under contract, Bilal Powell's under contract, so you really have no credible running backs under contract. You know, with Bell, 
for as disappointing as his rushing production was, was still effective when the Jets throw him the football. I just didn't throw him the football enough. He was the top back, ranked back in the NFL, I think, in pass protection. So you lose that for Darnold. And if Anderson leaves, now you're basically getting rid of his top two offensive weapons. So no continuity for him then. And you're putting a, what, a rookie running back back there with him in pass protection when you're playing San Francisco, Seattle, and Kansas City next year. I just feel like you have to pay Bell next year, keep him here, find a better way to use him, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. You know, and back to your original question, you know, for Johnson, Gase is Johnson's guy. That was his first big decision and big hire. He's going to defer to him and defer to him, particularly on offensive players. And with Douglas, you know, he got here after Gase, and I think he's going to try to find a way to work with him and make his offensive coach happy. And it's going to probably be a bad return. Maybe it doesn't happen. Look, maybe this is all just smoke and Bell's back next year, or maybe the Jets get better return than we expect. They get a second rounder or something. I'm guessing they see they get a conditional mid-rounder back, and he's not here. And I think ultimately, while you can make a case on the value of continuing to pay him, I think they're going to be paying him regardless next year. And I just... Who is filling these 130 catches that Bell and Anderson had while you're trying to rebuild your offensive line? It's tough. It's going to be tough for Darnold. Um, we'll do one more before we wrap. Question from GOT Fanboy. What was your take on Parasite? I thought it was a top five movie in the past couple of years. I need to see Parasite and 1917 in theater like this week. It's on the to-do list. I, I got to do it. I got to catch up with my premium cable and movies. I'm falling behind a little bit. Did just catch the premiere of The New Pope and Curb. Great as always. I got to expand beyond my HBO, but excited to see Parasite. I've heard some really good things about it. One more football question. Let's see if we could find them. We'll do two more, actually. This one from Josh Eggert. Why is it that Todd Munkin, who the majority of Jets Twitter swooned over heavily, did not stay in the NFL nor receive lots of interviews? I think he got banished to Cleveland behind Freddie Kitchens, and last year was such a disaster. I think he wanted to go back to a place like Georgia, which will be a big stage, to rebuild that reputation a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was back in the NFL next year. I think he made the wrong choice last year in going to Cleveland, didn't get to call plays despite being the offensive coordinator, really didn't sound like he had any input on the game plans, uh, now gets to go to a really high-profile team hopefully build that rep back up, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him as an offensive coordinator and then eventually a head coach uh, at some point in the NFL. Last question from Don B. Ant Bo going ham. I think Twitter is wildly overrating what Robbie is going to get paid. Any chance he gets 8 to $10 million per? I think it's going to be way more than that. I just think people overspend in free agency. They particularly overspend for vertical receivers because it's a rare skill set, and it's a weak overall market. I'd be shocked if he got less than $13 million a year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he got like 14 or $15 million a year. Teams are going to look at him and say he's been in a terrible situation. He still gets open deep. He still makes big plays down the field. Throw out some of his production because he played every year he's played with a terrible quarterback for three or four games, right? He had three games with a beatdown Josh McCown in 2018. He had three or four games with Bryce Petty in 2017. He had three games with Luke Falk this year. They're going to say if he had a healthy quarterback and he, if he had our quarterback, whoever that is, this is an 1,100-yard guy, and they're going to pay based on going-ahead production, not previous production. So the Jets want him back. I think you got to look at $14, 15000000 million per year. I don't know if they're going to do that, but he will get that somewhere. All right. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate all your questions on Twitter sent over to at Jay Caparoso. Stay tuned on TurnOnTheJets.com. Stay tuned on the Twitter feed for more updates on our upcoming podcast. There'll be a few more dropped in throughout this feed, previewing what we'll have coming in February. And stay tuned for more information on that. We'll talk to everybody next week.